Hi everyone, this is Jacob from Attention to Detail. We are back today with a special episode, another one of our fantasy sports style drafts. And this time we tackled the question of who we think are some of the most underrated composers in history. So I had three of my my great friends and colleagues join me and we discussed this topic. I hope it'll be a fun listen for everybody. It should be great for some recommendations of composers you may never have heard of or you didn't know so much about and some of their best pieces to go and listen to. So I hope you enjoy it. Without further ado, here's our underrated composer's draft from Attention to Detail. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our next, our third draft of sorts here at Attention to Detail. Today, we are doing something that I think is going to be very fun for our audience. I hope it's going to be very fun for our audience and certainly has been fun in preparation for us, the contestants today. We've come up with our most, our favorite, uh, our most underrated composers in history. And the way we did this is we looked at some rankings on the web, uh, you know, various sources that provided rankings of the top 100 composers, averaged them out to try to get some sense of general consensus of what the top 100 classical composers might be. And we are here today to pick apart that list, criticize it, and talk about the composers that are way, way too low on that list. Of course, doing that is a very subjective process, but I think what we're trying to do is, at least myself, and I'll let our competitors as they pick talk a little bit about their process as well. But for me, it's a balancing act because there are some composers who wrote one or two incredibly good pieces. There are other composers who wrote a lot of pretty good stuff. I think you have to take all of that into consideration when you're just trying to attach a number to a composer. But also, I think just emotionally, subjectively, this is a game that we play as musicians all the time. It's just who are the best composers and why and why do we like them? And so today I've chosen three of my nicest friends to represent, to, to choose the underrated composers here, give people a little love. I will choose three of my meanest friends to come on when we do the overrated composers to diss some of these incredible artists from the last 400 plus years. So to introduce our contestants in order of uh, how they'll be drafting, we first have Mary Ferrillo, violist in the Boston Symphony, one of my friends back from Tanglewood many, many summers ago. I see very, like a little bit, there we go. <laughs> Sweatshirt. We uh, spent several summers together, one of them in the Econo Lodge in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. So one how and can the we only. Bring it? How can <laughs> we bring it? And then I have Victor Wang, principal flute of the Charlotte Symphony, uh, also a graduate of the Tanglewood Music Center and esteemed flutist, happens also to be my college roommate, randomly assigned freshman college year roommate and we stay roommates from there on out. So we've got Victor joining us as well. And we have Alex Amsel, assistant conductor of the Fort Worth Symphony, 
my friend from New England Conservatory, also went to Peabody and now is working in Texas. Uh, you know, not none of us are working right now, unfortunately. I wish we were working, but shacked up in Texas as they uh, explode in coronavirus cases. So we're having a separate competition here for who's gonna uh, be back to work last because we all live in places. Maybe, maybe Mary, you're, you might be okay. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I did actually work this week. We are putting together online Tanglewood concerts. Mm -hmm. So I, I did uh, record some, some things, some music. It was a really nice change. All right. <laughs> I it already. That's good. That's good to hear. Victor, have you, I've seen you, you've done a little bit of stuff socially distanced the past few weeks. Yeah, our orchestra has been doing like a little bit of chamber music stuff, but um, when the full orchestra is going to be back together, that's anybody's guess. So. Yeah, that's the same in Indy. And Alex, I saw you guys in Fort Worth did this big July 4th socially distanced concert, but any plans coming up or we'll see? Uh, so far, I think we're actually planning on moving forward somehow uh, starting in September in different venues, not in our original venue, but uh, yeah, this was a big concert. We had probably two thirds of the orchestra actually present, everyone socially distanced and masked and everything, but um, yeah, a little plug, I guess. Uh, it's premiering on, I think, 8 Eastern or 9 Eastern tomorrow as a big 4th of July celebration. Um, and yeah, I think uh, we're planning on moving forward in September in, in one way or another so far. All right. We will see how that goes. Fingers crossed. On to more important things, our draft of underrated composers. So Mary, you lucked out, have the first pick in the draft. Who are you going with? No questions. I went with Benjamin Britten first because the fact that Benjamin Britten was ranked 44th out of 100 is frankly just a tragedy. I mean, I'm tired. I'm tired about people not knowing about him in general. His operas are perfect. They're not necessarily like a good time. They're not fun, but like musically, they're perfect. Dramatically, they're exciting. The string quartets are masterpieces they're like the most some of the most important i would put them and the bartok string quartets like up in the same level of important 20th century chamber music and so i've played house concerts where i'm like and now britain too which is the second string quartet which is one of the best pieces just about ever and people no one has heard it and i i just want everyone to go and listen to the string quartets billy budd peter grimes the operas um, and also, actually, I highly recommend, there's a recording of Rostropovich playing the Debussy cello sonata, and Britton is the pianist, and it's, he's, his musician, he is just the most incredible musician, and he brings a dynamic to that piece, which is excellent, and Rostropovich is excellent, but the accompaniment, his sense, oh, he's just, number one, he's mine. You took, you took what happened to be my, I think, second Oh, underrated composer. So excellent, excellent choice. And I like the suggestions too. Part of this is we want to suggest pieces for people to go listen to. The string quartets are an excellent place to start. I actually also happen to be of the mind that the young person's guide for the orchestra, which is like this Absolutely. little dinky kids piece. It's an amazing, amazing piece. Super tricky actually. So excellent, excellent choice, Benjamin Britten. I am going to go with an American composer, because I feel like American composers don't get enough love. 
except for one American composer who I think is ranked pretty decent. We'll see if other people agree with me. But I like Copeland. I don't find him the single greatest composer who ever lived, personally. But to me, Samuel Barber, 84th, I highly, highly disagree with. I personally love Barber's music. He has so many amazing pieces. The First Symphony, the Violin Concerto, some of his essays for orchestra. But my recommendation for people to go listen to is the piece Knoxville, Summer of 1915, which is for chamber orchestra. I'm hoping if we come back in a chamber setting some, of some kind this season, we can do it. Because I think this is an absolute masterpiece. And I think Barber is way underrated. So that is my first choice. Barber at 84, way too loud. So Victor, you're up next. Well, I'm starting to sweat a little already because Barbara and Britain were both very high up on my, <laughs> my list of people I wanted to pick. Um, but for me, um, I'm very happy that my number one pick is still out there. Uh, that is Respighi. Uh, Respighi on the list, I think, was at number 92, which I think is just crazy because Respighi uh, is, is one of my favorite composers. I think my love for Respighi was kind of rekindled last summer. We played a piece of his um, at Tanglewood, and then also I heard the BSO, Mary, I don't know if you were playing, um, do uh, Fountains of Rome. Oh, I, I think I was playing. Oh, it's, it's, he has no bad pieces. Like, they're really just excellent. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, that summer I was like, wow, Respighi is the man. And I kind of listened to more of his pieces. His most well-known is Fountains of, uh, Pines of Rome. Um, that people might already be familiar with, but if not, definitely check that out. Yeah, and I am of the mind, I don't know if people agree, that I actually prefer Fountains to Pines, even though Pines is amazing. But also, Respighi is a good choice. A lot of his other pieces are surprisingly good when you would think he's like a one-hit wonder. So, good. Everything is going off the, we seem to agree so far. So, we're up to Alex. Your first choice, you actually have two choices here, but what are you going with first? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm surprised this one is this low, I think, criminally underrated. And I'm actually, when, when someone said Britain, I was a little scared that they were going to go somewhere else with it. Uh, I think Vaughn Williams at 49 is an absolute travesty. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of his symphonies. I think they're absolutely fantastic. Uh, they're so uh, important to this time period, uh, so much in response to the, the wars and um, also just a total hardcore dude that could have skipped the service during the war and actually stuck it out and, and served his time for his country and then came back and wrote uh, music about his experiences. Um, his Dona Nobis Pachum, I think, is just an unbelievable work. If anyone's going to go listen to any piece by Vaughn Williams, we all know Lark Ascending, but Dona Novis Bacham, I think, is like, is one of the most unbelievable works. And he also wrote a piece for harmonica solo. Like, you can't be at 49 if you wrote a piece for harmonica. Like, you have to, you just have to be higher. So, um, yeah, going Vaughn Williams there. I didn't, I did, I did not know that he wrote a piece for harmonica. I also, I forgot that you are a particular, you're a particularly big fan of the Vaughn Williams symphonies. And yeah, I think there are some I, of those, yeah, yeah. I think the fourth symphony is particularly incredible. It's just, uh, 
Again, like someone, uh, I think Mary said before, uh, like some of the Britain's uh, operas are not enjoyable to sit through, but they're incredible. And, and Von Williams IV just um, the only way, I think Jacob, you and I had talked about it at some point, it sort of grabs you by the throat for 50 minutes or something like that and just doesn't let go at all. It's just uh, relentless in its uh, passion and, and intensity. We talked about it because uh, we were debating like what, there's this game that's been going around of create your list of top symphonies and you can't use a composer more than once. That's right. And we have, a, I'm not going to talk about what my choice was because I think he's a criminally underrated composer and I might pick him. So in any case, we're back to you for another pick. Um, yeah. So this one is a little bit higher on the list, but I still, since we're going with underrated, I still think a little too low for my taste. Um, and if, anyone heard my last podcast with Jacob, they'll know what I'm alluding to. I think Bartok at 23, um, although 23 is still top 25 going in the first round of, of many sport events, uh, still too low at 23. Um, the last time I, I was on here with Jacob, we, we reviewed the, the Wooden Prince, which I think is just one of his most incredible works. Um, and Maybe I should lighten it up for the future, but I was gonna. My recommendation was gonna be Bluebeard's Castle, uh, but it's also sort of a very intense piece. But I think another one worth worth listening to and well watching actually, if you get a chance, because um, it's just a you know it's a somewhat of a semi-staged opera, but it has everything that art should have: incredible music, libretto, um, and when the acting, when the when the directing is is well done on stage, I think it's just. Magnificent piece. Um, I also really love the Romanian folk dances. I think they're just absolutely lovely. And you just, you know, an, an incredible mind pieces like the um, music for strings, percussion, and cellessa that just sort of revolutionized the way we think about music, not just in tonality, but in, in terms of form and ratios and distribution of, of time and things like that. So yeah, very legit composer. Also an excellent plug for the podcast because we have reviewed not only The Wooden Prince, but also Bluebeard's Castle in the past few weeks. So gotta go check those out. We are back to Victor for your second pick. So far, you've got Respighi. Who are you going to go with now? Um, my next pick is going to be Carl Nielsen. Mm. Um, he also was down at, I think, number 95, almost at the very bottom of the top 100, which I thought was an absolute travesty. Um, Nielsen uh, was a great symphonist, wrote really cool symphonies that just has really interesting sort of harmonic language. Um, and, you know, for me as a flutist, he wrote one of our very best <laughs> flute concertos and one of our very best wind quintets, so he's a special place. There you go. I bet, well, Alex will know that that was the composer I was going to go with because I was disagreeing. I think his fourth symphony should be slotted in there. Excellent choice, but the flute concerto as well. So fantastic choice. My my picks are getting wrecked here. I, I almost picked Nielsen just because I knew Jacob was going to pick it as his second pick. So I wanted to steal it. So I'm glad I got to pick my two and, and Victor took what he wanted without <laughs> giving it to Jacob. <laughs> 
The string quartets are really incredible too. I wasn't familiar with them at all. And I think Danish string quartet just did like the complete cycle. And there's like a why, like his whole, oh, they're stunning. They're really great. That was one of my, my picks too. All right, and well, so I'm trying to decide between two here and I'm trying to think which one Mary is less likely to take because <laughs> I want to get both of them. And I think, I think I'm going to take right here uh, a composer who, again, was recently reviewed on the podcast, but a composer who's he's jolted into like my top 20 very recently as I've listened to more of his music, and that is Janacek, ranked at 78 on this list. But I think Janacek is one of these incredible modernist composers that wrote music that is actually not only fun to listen to, but really innovative and really interesting, and also, in a way, very tonal. And so, if people like more tonal music, I think Janacek is an excellent modernist to listen to. And so, I'd recommend the Sinfonietta, I'd recommend Teres Kolba, which we reviewed on this podcast, I'd recommend the String Quartets, a lot of good pieces by Janacek, so that is going to be my second pick. So we are back to Mary for two picks. This is, so I think I'm going to go, this is, it's not, this, I feel like this is a more impactful, it's like, a, it's not as a big a jump, but it's, it's in my top five and I can't imagine my top five without it. So for me, it's Richard Strauss, who this list put at 20, below Dvorak, below Chopin, below Tchaikovsky, below Vivaldi, I could go on. Um... I just, I mean, even if I, if I were to pick like just three things, if I were to just pick the, um, some of his operas, just picking Rosenkavalier alone, like that catapults him into my top five. And it's not just that. I mean, he was, and when he was youthful, he was so adventuresome. I mean, all you have to do is listen to his tone poems to, and his early operas to hear harmony and color and, I mean, there's literal sheep and Don Quixote that are just like, like you know, like they, they, these are things that like maybe in, they, they just, they're, they're so evocative of time and place. And then ignore that when he gets more traditional towards the end of his career and you have Ariadne and, and Rosenkavalier and uh, just, they're just all, that's so, I have to pick Strauss because I was just sort of shocked when I kept going down the list and he was further and further. So my next pick is Strauss. That is, uh, Strauss is an excellent pick. I'm wondering, it, you made a good point also for our listeners who want one composer who has a massive stylistic breadth. Strauss is four last songs compared <gasps> to a piece like Salome. It's completely different, but they're both incredible. I'm curious if you think, if you particularly think that Strauss is in the top five because you play in an orchestra where Andrews Nelsons is the music director. And I have experienced playing Strauss under him at Tanglewood. And it is, we I think- We did, we did the, at the last, didn't we do the end of Rosenkopfler? Yeah. And so that, that would probably make me put Strauss in the top five too, so. Yeah, and I mean, we do play, I mean, we play like a, we regularly play the tone poems. Um, and those aren't even my favorites. Like I could do without Eulenspiegel myself, like they're, they're Eulenspiegel, like they're fine. But I mean, the first thing I ever played on Symphony Hall stage as a sub a couple years ago 
was Rosenkavalier, and I was sobbing. I was crying on in the. I was like back the very back violist, and I just had tears going down my face because. I was there. I think I remember <laughs> even seeing that potentially. <laughs> Is Mary okay on stage? I think my stand partner turned to me like, um. <laughs> well, excellent choice, Strauss, and you've got another pick here. So, what are you going with? I'm going with uh, Francois Couperin next. He is decidedly not talked about except maybe by like harpsichord players, which is very, sort of a very niche land. But I came in contact with him because Thomas Otis, the composer who's not on this list and I would rank higher than many of the people on this list, um, is obsessed and loves Couperin and has done some really amazing studies with them where he sort of orchestrates keyboard music for the orchestra. And that was sort of my like gateway into that composer. And I, they're just, delightful. There's so much color. The harpsichord really comes alive with this composer. I recommend both Otis's chamber transcription and the original Couperin of The Mysterious Barricades. It's just one of the most wonderful pieces I've ever heard. And I want to, ugh, it's just magical. So that's, that's my number three. I like that pick. We don't get enough Baroque music on this podcast, and as symphony orchestra musicians, probably we all don't get as much Baroque music as as most. I'm glad though, because I am also going to go with a Baroque composer, which I was I was banking on you not taking. But I actually think possibly my favorite Baroque composer, excluding Bach, higher for me than Vivaldi, higher for me than Handel, is Corelli who is ranked on this list 69, 69 for Corelli. And I actually find Vivaldi, for example, has a lot of pretty good pieces, some amazing ones, some less interesting ones. You listen to the Corelli trio sonatas or the Gemignani orchestrations of those trio sonatas, it is movement after movement after movement of incredibly good music. So I highly recommend if you're looking for some Baroque music, there are a lot of radio stations that like only play Baroque music and it's filler and it's just put on in the background. Corelli is really, really, really high quality music in my opinion. So 69 was too low for that one. We are back to Victor for your third pick, Respighi and Nielsen so far. What are you going with now? Um, I'm going to go for impact <laughs> for this pick, uh, like Mary Strauss, uh, and I'm going to say Shostakovich. Uh, Shostakovich is already ranked pretty highly on this list, but for me, he's a top five composer, so it felt important to get him in there. Uh, I just think nobody could really, nobody's really written like uh, a feeling of desolation or a feeling of like intense ferocity quite like Shostakovich. Um, did. So he wrote like 15, is it 15? Amazing symphonies, a bunch of string quartets. Um, and they're played sort of often, but usually it's five and ten, the symphonies. Um, and so that's sort of one of the things I look forward to in the rest of my orchestral career is getting to uh, become familiar with even more of his uh, symphonies. Um, for a piece to start with, I would recommend uh, his 11th symphony. I think it's really, really, really cool. Really good piece. And also kind of, it's a good starter piece because it's almost movie at movie music-esque and it's really, 
I'm curious though, just to take a very quick uh, tangent, but I love these picks from you guys, both Mary and Victor. But I have to ask you, if these guys are making your top five composers, uh-huh. who is getting, who it, tell me your top five composers, Mary and Victor, because I love both of those composers. I would struggle to work them into my top five. So I'm curious. Mary, who, who is your top five? Uh, I, what, what I came to the conclusion of, and I realized that the, like, this is purely emotionally based. That's good. Um, That's good. I already had an argument with my boyfriend about one of them. <laughs> um, uh, top Bach. They act, I felt like Bach was, un, was underrated on this list and they put him third and I'm just, I, there's just sort of no, for being the peak of what Baroque is, there's no one that touches box imagination his everything um i mozart i'm just incredibly fond of the symphonies the quartets the solo music i just think they're all wonderful beethoven third brahms fourth and strauss fifth all right so at the top four i'm okay with maybe i would have a slightly different order but that's good so the five spot is the one in question but they're I'm just, I mean, there's an argument for Strauss. There's an argument for a lot of, I'm, I'm, Victor, I'm curious, is that the same for you? Um, it's not not exactly the same, and I think I might might upset some people. No, it's good. that's <laughs> what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Um, so my number one is Brahms, who I just adore and think. Uh, I wish he had written even more than he did, and he already wrote a lot. Um, my number two is Mozart, who, uh, you know, beautiful operas, beautiful symphonies, beautiful chamber music, um, many beautiful Luca <laughs> Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, My number three is Beethoven. And then probably unpopularly, Bach is not in my top five. Although he is in my, oh, where did I put him? Oh man, he's, oh, he's number, he's, he's number eight. So I, I do, okay. I really love Bach, but I need to be in a specific sort of, mindset for Bach, so, so that's why he's a little bit lower. But then I had Stravinsky. And yeah. So that's my... Stravinsky is one for me who's touching the top five, but I'm I, uh, interesting. In any case, I was just curious, because that's... I love those composers, but they, they made it up very high. But that's good. That's good. So, Alex, we got sidetracked, but we're back. This is your third pick. So far, you've got Vaughn Williams, and remind me of your second pick. Um, I forgot too. Bartok. 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 Bartok, of course, of course. Yeah. All right. So you're up again. All right. So I'm going to go, I get two, right? Yes, you get two. Okay. So disregard the order of these two that I'll, I'll pick them in. Um, I think Mahler at 15 is just unbelievably low. I, he's high, of course. Again, he's still a, a lottery pick, if you will. Um, but I, I just, think the way he was every piece he composed just sort of the way he was able to encompass uh, a, a lifetime uh, an entire story of someone's life or his life in, in every single piece I think is just um, unbelievable I, I, the other thing I reviewed on this podcast with Jacob was his fourth symphony which I think is one of his more underrated works um, but even his uh, non-symphonic pieces are, are just incredible works. I, I know I said I was going to go lighter with my next picks, but 
Um, <laughs> it's, you know, these are very intense pieces he wrote, but um, I, I don't think I don't think anyone was able to encompass life in music the way he was. He might not be the best composer ever, um, if if you can quantify that stuff. But um, yeah, just. I, I don't even know which way to point people in because I think everything is just incredible pieces. Um, well, and it's a and it's a small hearing. output actually, and so you you can't really miss because compared to a lot of these other composers, only nine plus a little bit symphony, so hard to go wrong. I agree. That's that's one that's touching my top five, but yeah, that 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 would be in my top five for sure. I just I I can't help but listen to his music every time and just have epiphanies about my life. Maybe maybe not always great epiphanies if you're listening to, to like the Sixth Symphony or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I never said they were good epiphanies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and one more. All right, so if we're going with underrated, again, not, not one of my top five composers, even close, but I think Francis Poulenc at 83 is much, much too low. Um, I'm a former bassoon player, and his chamber works are just some of the most fun pieces uh, you'll ever play in your life, I think. Uh, the Stextet and uh, the, the Oboe Bassoon Piano Trio are just absolutely delightful pieces. Um, but on, on larger scales, I'm a huge fan of his Gloria. Uh, that was one of very early pieces I fell in love with in classical music. Uh, there was a little CD shop in Houston that I used to go to, Joel's Classical Shop, and uh, I would just go in there and talk to Joe and uh, Joel and ask him, what should I listen to? And he gave me this recording of, of Poulenc's Gloria, and I think it's just uh, a really, really amazing piece. Of course, the concerto uh, for two pianos and the, the organ concerto are, are great works, but if we're looking at more Chamber suggestions to to change it up on this podcast is his wind pieces. I think are are just absolutely lovely. Yeah, I love that pick. A little bit of an eccentric composer, Poulenc, but a really great composer nonetheless. And definitely, I agree, very underrated. And if people want a starter piece, the concerto for two pianos is very good. But all those other things you mentioned are are excellent as well. All right, so Victor, your fourth pick. We're getting down a little bit close to the end here, and I've still got a lot of composers that need shout outs, so I'm hoping we're gonna hit them, but because I can only do two myself, but Victor, your next uh, your next pick. We're having a little bit of the same same dilemma where I have so many people left. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna go with uh, Olivier Messiaen. Uh, he was down around number 50, and I put him closer to number 20 for me. Um, he, he was super into birds and wrote lots of really fascinating uh, bird song music. Um, and actually, because uh, you asked me to be part of this, I was doing a little listening and I uh, listened to something that I hadn't listened to before, which is Tarangalila, which is, that's a wild piece of music. <laughs> that is crazy piece of music and really awesome. Um, and then also his quartet for the end of time is, is really beautiful. Um, and there is this, Choral piece, uh, what is it? Post sacrum convivium, uh, really beautiful. Um, so, uh, yeah, check them out. Nailed, and I, I was gonna go with Messiaen as well, so I love that pick. And as you mentioned, I mean, our listeners might not wanna commit to an hour and a half of Taranga Leela Symphony, but it is an incredible piece. 
but I like those other suggestions you mentioned, quartet for the end of time. Um, also, if you're if you're into bird sounds, there's this crazy piece called Wazo Exotique, which which means exotic birds, and it is really weird and interesting. But excellent choice, Messian. I totally agree. Very underrated. So I'm gonna have to grab my composer that I think would make the top five and is criminally underrated at 18. This is Robert Schumann. I've, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but I think Schumann is the most uh, underrated, excellent, excellent composer in history, criminally underrated, especially in the symphonic genre. Schumann is known more for his solo piano works, his chamber works, which are really incredible. So I'd encourage our listeners to do Schumann too, but also some incredible chamber music. We've mentioned on this podcast before, and I'll mention it again, the Andante and Variations for two pianos, two cellos, and French horn is an unpublished piece of Schumann's that I think is one of the best pieces ever composed. So 18, way too low for Schumann for me. It's between Mahler and Schumann and Stravinsky and Strauss and Shostakovich and in that five to 10 range, but I think Schumann probably is my fifth. So that's who I'm going with. Back to Mary for your final two picks. That's so sad. I actually have such a long, I have like 20 composers and we've had such a diverse, I expected to be like clawing for them and now I have so many that I want to say, but. Your two favorites. We can do some honorable mentions at the end if you want to do a rapid fire round. That might be fun. Okay, I'm going to pick one. I'm going to go with Charles Ives. Mm. He was ranked 75th um, in that list. And I think Ives is hard for people because so often it is done poorly and very, um, it turns out to be cacophonous by the nature of things sort of piling on top of each other. And I think there's actually so much delicacy to Ives. There's so much understanding of how time and sound works and what it means to feel at home sonically, like the whole play on folk songs and the material he's playing from. I recommend to people The Unanswered Question, Three Places in New England. The string quartets are incredible. They're very different from each other. I think the first one is very traditionally like folksy. And then as they go, is there two or three? I can't remember. They they get very out there. Um, and I just think he's, I think there's so much potential for beauty in Ives and people sort of bowl over it to get into the like the nitty gritty of the like two marching bands passing each other. Um, so I'm going to go with Ives for four. I very much like that pick. I will say just for our listeners, I don't know if the other people agree. Ives later stuff is still something that I need to get more into and struggle with a lot of the time because it does, I think, uh, it, it often can strike you as somewhat cacophonous because he's a composer who writes all this stuff at the same time. But for me, what was a really eye-opening piece was listening to his second symphony, which is very kind of more standard and traditional. And 
what they said about like Picasso, for example, is that he was just this incredible, realistic painter. And so he could do anything he wanted. And then all of this abstract work that he painted was just because artistically he felt like doing that. And a little bit, I feel that way with Ives that they're, you know, clearly the guy just could write incredible pieces. And so I need to, I have to confess, I need to listen to and understand these late pieces of Ives. Like the fourth symphony, I just can't make head or tail of that piece. But I will. I, I, I feel like I will at some point in my life. But I love that choice. So one more. Yeah. Did the fourth symphony together? Did we, yeah, at Yale, that was, I mean, I don't know if you remember, at least for me, that that performance, I was like, what is going on? I mean, this is, there's like an offstage conductor. There's a pianist who's going berserk. You're like, you're playing these random folk tunes, the orchestra's in three different time signatures. And then the movement is called like comedy. <laughs> is the comedy that I have no clue what's going on? I think that's also, I think sometimes people, like it take, it's always hard when music requires like incredible craft. Like when the act of putting it together is sort of like a, like a step that you have to get through because it's, you so just want to sit down in your chair, either from the audience or the player perspective and have everything fall into place. But um, I played a concert once of all Ives pieces and I expected to just be miserable the entire time. And there wasn't a single piece that when the man put them all together, I didn't find beautiful. And so that was really eye-opening for me. And I don't remember, I mean, it was small pieces. They would be like four minutes. They like maybe three musicians and it like the pieces sort of expanded as the concert went on both in length and size. But there's a lot of beauty in Ives. And I think, I think that you, I think you'll find it. I have, I have. Well, what I'm hoping, just to go back, one quick throwback to Victor and my collegiate orchestra career, but I am hoping that the Mahler's Fifth Symphony now for me is one of the most like logical, I get this piece from start to finish, I love it, every movement makes total sense. I remember we played the, that in, in Yale Symphony, and my, my remember like memory of that performance was just like, I had no clue what was going on from the very start to the very end, like complete chaos. I think that performance, we were a little under rehearsed because like, I just, <laughs> it was like total chaos on stage. But now, so I'm hoping the same goes for Ives. That's my, that's my hope here. So Mary, we're back to you. One more composer, your final pick. Ugh, I'm torn between two. One, uh, both for just pure love. Um, which, which one? I guess which one has a bigger leap? Um, I'm going to go with uh, Jean-Philippe Rameau. Mm. Um, I put him in my top ten, which I'm sure people would be just askance at. Um, I am. I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrifying. But tell I, us. It's, it's purely... I, I love his story. I love like who, he was a, a French composer who existed after Lully or sort of, they like overlapped a little and Lully had a monopoly on French opera. Like the king literally grant only Lully could make opera. And so he made all sorts of rules about harmony and everything. And then somehow Rameau gets into the struggle and comes out with this piece in his like 
later in life too. He wasn't a young composer when he made it, but he made Hippolyte at, at Eresy. It's unbelievable. His harmony is just beautiful and interesting and evocative. I mean, those operas are so much about like where you are and he, there's descents into hell and it's just exciting and beautiful. And I, if I put it on, I enjoy it start to finish. So I'm gonna go with Rameau. All right, well, listen, just the fact that you said this composer made it in your top 10, I am going to go listen again because Quite honestly, I don't know that Rameau would have sniffed my top 50, so I need to listen to a little bit more. I trust your musical sense, and I, I need to uh, beef up on this composer a little bit. I love that choice. I am gonna go, I've been trying to decide between two composers that didn't even make our list here, although there's, there's still several that I wanted to mention, but I think I'm gonna go with a composer that didn't make the top 100, contemporary composer, Ligeti wasn't on the list. I think Ligeti is a really, really incredible composer. And you talk about a composer who wrote in a wild range of styles. Like we were saying with Ives a little bit, there's a lot of Ligeti that feels somewhat chaotic. And there's some of his music is, is absurdist in many ways. And so, the Grand Macabre is this big piece of his that is like really crazy, but it's actually, it's really fun to listen to. But also if you go listen to Ligeti's Romanian Concerto, that is like a pretty straight up standard piece and you can tell how great of a composer he is. And I'd also recommend for people this little short harpsichord piece by Ligeti called Continuum, which is very cool piece. It, it's hard to even describe. It's like uh, one of the first, I think, minimalistic works. You wouldn't expect it from Ligeti, Ligeti, but it sounds like Steve Reich or something like that. It's also really cool, three minutes. So Ligeti for me is the, the last one I would include. He's, he's again, one of those composers who a lot of it's complex, a lot of it's absurd, but I think almost all of it is in a way kind of genius. And so that's gonna be my my last choice, unranked, which I thought was 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 rough. All right, Victor. Uh, I'm also going to go with someone unranked, and I think it's going to be a bit of a, a deep <laughs> deep pick. Um, Joseph Reinberger. Uh, Never heard of that composer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me. I hadn't either until a few days ago, and I was having one of these. Um, nerdy musical conversations with my friends, asking like, who is your favorite, least, uh, uh, most underrated composer? And they threw out this name, and I gave him a listen. So in my couple days chance to get to be familiar with this guy's music, um, it's been really, really beautiful. And, uh, and I mentioned Brahms as my, my number one. Uh, Reinberger is kind of Brahmsian, so uh, no surprise that uh, I really loved his music. He wrote tons of choral and organ music, um, in my brief sampling, the choral music, uh, I connected more to that than to the instrumental music. So uh, a good place to start would be maybe this piece called Abendlied, uh, and then his Mass in E-flat. Um, wow. A lot of chamber music, uh, two symphonies, so there is stuff for, for us instrumentalists. Just did a quick Google and this is a real person. <laughs> this is a real person, I'm impressed. 
<laughs> Maybe you were just trolling us and you invented a composer. Oh, I should have done that. <laughs> Excellent choice. I'm going to have to go listen to some Rheinberger. So I love it. We, we're, we're all learning something today. So Alex, final choice for us. You get to close us out. All right. So I actually, I wasn't aware we could pick off list. Yeah, me um, too. Or I would have done a lot more contemporary music, as as Jacob, you might know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well throw right. us an off-list one now, if you want to. Uh, well, off-list, actually, if we're not going super contemporary, that's still uh, easily accessible. Um, I absolutely love Inesco's music. Mm. Uh, honestly, yeah. pick up anything by Inesco, it's great. I mean, the, the Chamber Symphony and the Romanian Rhapsody are great, great entry points. But... Um, sort of just overshadowed by, you know, people like Bartok and Janacek. Uh, I, you know, we just associate that area more to, to those composers, but uh, Inescu, uh, that's not my pick. Okay. Make it clear, but that's my, that's my off list. That's your off list pick, but you've got, a, you've got an on list pick though. I do have an on list pick and also he's slightly high on the list, but uh, John Sibelius I think is too low for me for what he meant. Um, I know Jacob, you and I have, have talked about this. I think there's three composers that have, this might be a bit of a hot take, but to me, three composers that have completely altered uh, the course of music history, and it's Beethoven, Shostakovich, and Sibelius. And Sibelius is a bit of a weird take, but I, from all my understanding of historical reading within music and outside of music, pretty much there wouldn't be Finland. Uh, if there wasn't Sibelius. Uh, they had been under Russian rule for Soviet rule for a long time and uh, everything about their culture had been forgotten by their own people. Um, there was no sense of pride or anything. They, you know, they had sort of been uh, washed away and brainwashed by, by Soviet rule. And young, young Sibelius came in and wrote what one of the pieces I'm gonna suggest, which is the uh, Kulervo, which is a symphonic tone poem. Um, taken everything he, he took in terms of the story behind it is very old school traditional Finnish stories and uh, folk uh, music and folk stories again um, and I think yeah one of one of the three people that not one of the top three best composers but one of the three composers that completely changed the, the world yeah uh, I have many more suggestions for Sibelius but uh I think Kulerva is a really incredible piece that doesn't get uh, played or listened to uh, very often, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his symphonic poems as well, which all deal with uh, Finnish folk stories. Yeah, excellent choice of composer, uh, you know, many, many great pieces. One thing I love about Sibelius too is that he was a well-known, it was well-known that he was a serious, serious uh, drinker of alcohol. And I find my thesis on Sibelius, I liked your hot take on Sibelius. My hot take on Sibelius is you can see like the actual bar lines where he went to bed after he had been drinking a lot and then he woke up the next day and started composing again. Cause it'll just like jolt from being this totally meandering weird forest music to like the most triumphant sunny stuff in in the in an instant i don't know what i don't know is whether the sober music was the weird stuff or the triumphant stuff though. that that i'm not sure about well and if I, 
I have one last thing about Sibelius, I think, to, to go into these sort of uh, different realms that you're, you're speaking of. You know, we often listen and speak of Sibelius' music as um, very, yeah, very much into nature and the scenery of, of Finland and, you know, what you would get if you walk outside and uh, either in winter or, or summer. But I think it's equally important to again, to just sort of reinforce my point and not take it too much into the romantic uh, sense of what Sibelius is, equally important to listen to as political statements because you listen to some of the symphonies and they're incredibly um, to the point and, you know, very direct pieces. And it, this, this sort of grandiose, you know, looking at the, the clouds with the snow underneath is very pretty, but that's not the only thing that the yeah. music was about. So if you listen to some of his later symphonies, like six and seven, um, it's not just about the forest murmurs. Uh, it's, yeah. it's very intense, uh, political, politically charged music. I want to do a rapid fire round, as Mary suggested. Everybody give me two extra, you don't need to throw out a suggestion, but just fire off two other composers you think didn't get enough love on the list. Mary, you can start us off. They weren't on the list at all, and I am going to go with uh, Due To You, who uh -huh. um, I just, it's all wonderful, and it's, I don't think it's even that challenging to listen to. I just think it doesn't come up often enough for people to get familiar with it, and I, they're just all, they're all stunning. The cello concerto is great. Um, the string quartet is wonderful. The orchestral music is, there's so much color due to you. And then for a living composer, um, I am in, just completely in love with the music of Thomas Otis. Mm. He uses color, like orchestral instrumental color in a way that I find very inspiring. Um, his new piano concerto is wonderful. The operas are exciting. The, um, yeah, I just, I think he's wonderful. Um, didn't we see, Alex, didn't we see that at BSO? The new as Piano Concerto? The Piano Concerto. We played his fourth symphony, I think, uh, while I was there, too. Um, we did the Ravel Piano Concerto. Huh. And, uh, I think his fourth or fifth symphony at NEC. Yeah, you might have played, Mary, when we, we saw, it, we were back in Boston for some reason and saw the, the Addis. I, I was playing, I played... The um, piano concerto, it's yeah. great. Yeah, that's what I mean. The, um, the Tempest, the opera The Tempest is wonderful. I I tucked him into my Cooper recommendation because the Mysterious Barricade setting is, I think it's clarinet, bass clarinet, viola, cello, bass, so like sort of lower timbres. Um, oh, just beautiful. The three Cooper studies, the violin concerto, all, I love them all. Excellent, excellent. Well, I'm going to do my two quick hot takes. If we're, I, I'll throw a contemporary composer out there too. I understand why they didn't really make this list, but I'm going to throw my Anna Klein recommendation in there. Contemporary composer that I really love. Um, I think her music is fantastic. And we didn't hit on any composers from uh, Spanish-speaking countries, so I, there are some very good ones there too. And I will just say. Defia 80, I think is too low. Those were Defia. literally my, those were gonna be my two hot takes. <laughs> I hate to take it, but yeah, Defia 80. I think Defia, for me, the greatest Spanish composer. If you wanna hear some incredible Spanish 
infused music, go listen to uh, Three Cornered Hat, mm. Nights in the Gardens of Spain. Those are good pieces. All right, Victor, quick couple more hot takes if you want to get them in. Um, my hot takes, I'm going to say John Williams, who I wouldn't say is underrated by any means in the good call that. populist, but um, he's not on the list at all. And he, you know, is one of the most frequently played and most beloved composers of our time. Uh, and I, I think I didn't really see any film music representation on the list at all. So um, shout out to John Williams. Uh, I like that. I like that. And then my other hot take would be Clara Schumann. Uh, Clara Schumann, unfortunately, I think was not actively composing for very many years, so we don't have that much music from her. But what we do have is really beautiful. Um, her three romances for violin and piano are really beautiful. I think she's quoted as saying something like, there's never been like a successful woman composer before, so like, why would I think that I could do it? And that's like yeah. really tragic. Um, but yeah, the, what we do have is, is really, really beautiful. Yeah, that is, that is very tragic. And uh, she forgot about Hildegard von Bingen from the year like <laughs> she did. 100. But no, it's, it's, a, it's a point very well, well set. And see, I actually think my semi-hypothesis is that some of these late pieces of Schumann's are like kind of collaborations because Clara Schumann was clearly a very good composer too, and Robert Schumann was was potentially losing his mind a little bit. So I love that pick. I actually have to throw one more in to to match your uh, what, what was that guy's name? You said I forgot. Reinberger. Reinberger. <laughs> Reinberger. Because the composer that I've been introduced, another female composer from around the time of Clara Schumann, who had seemed to be a real pioneer, but I had never heard of her, was Louise Ferenc who actually like, whoa, really good pieces, uh, mid 1800s and very, very serious composer. So no reason why her music shouldn't be played more. Couple more hot takes for, for Alex, cause I took yours. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so first I'll go with something from the list, which I think should be uh, mentioned. Uh, I really love Schoenberg's music. Uh, if anything, for its uh, variety, even though we, we always think of it as sort of one-dimensional serial. Um, but I, his, his early chamber, or his early works, incredibly romantic and uh, not anything of what we would expect as Schoenberg. Um, I think his Peleas uh, in Melisande is one of the best renditions of that work, even though it's an incredibly complex and difficult piece to play. But I think it's one of his earliest works. Um, it's really fantastic. I, I do love his first and second chamber symphony, obviously. Guru Leader, Pierre Lunaire, Verlachnacht, I think are uh, important pieces to, to mention to people. Um, if anything, because I think, you know, something we do as musicians is, or artists in general is, sort of try and get reactions from our audiences and that might not always need to be uh, completely positive reactions. It doesn't, you know, not every piece of art you see should be the most beautiful thing. You can be upset when you hear it. And I think a lot of people get upset when they hear Schoenberg. Um, and I think that's perfectly valid. And I encourage that uh, when I talk to people about Schoenberg's music, if it elicits a reaction, it's, it's worth, um, listening to or watching or going to a museum for or whatever. Um, so I think he was 28 on the list, yeah. which I think, you know, still 
pretty high, but worth mentioning as a, a very dynamic composer. And off list, uh, I'm gonna suggest for people to listen to Gabriella Lena Frank. Um, yeah. I was debating between her and Anna Klein, um, both incredible picks. Uh, I think Gabby's music is uh, just, you know, speaks very much to her history and her um, sort of, she talks a lot about how she's found her, her roots and her, uh, you know, uh, history of, of her family and her life through music and as she sort of uh, searches for, for meaning. Um, the um, Legendas, the Legends, uh, and then Dan Walkabout is an incredible piece for string orchestra, later rearranged. Uh, Apu, I think one of her latest pieces, the tone poem, uh, really, really great. And um, three Latin American dances for orchestra are, are really just uh, fun and uh, also deep pieces with, with a lot of meaning. All right. Well, listen, we've given our listeners a huge amount to uh, digest and take from this, but those are some of our top underrated composers. And I think I, I, I agree. I love the picks that my, uh, my colleagues here made because we, we threw out a variety of different things, a diverse list, but also I think all of these, there were no uh, egregious choices in my mind. And, you know, we were all preparing this and we were thinking, I'm, I'm not trying to sit here evaluating anybody else's choices, but I was just thinking about my own most overrated composers, and we didn't happen to hit any of those. If someone came out here and said Chike at number eight was a little too low, I was going to be a little concerned. So, that spoiler alert, spoiler alert, that is absolutely going to be my number one pick if I have a pick in the overrated draft. But... No, I think it's great, and, and we'll come back and, and do our much more savage and much, much less friendly uh, overrated draft. But I want to thank our, our uh, participants for joining us today. Any final thoughts from anybody? Open it up. I know that's dangerous to do on a Zoom call, but uh, any final thoughts? Well, I think that a really important point that was hit on with the, the off-list composers is just how any list like this that says these are the hundred best is just immediately flawed and of, of either sort of an old school idea that those are the only composers that could matter or very limited. And there's so many people out there of all backgrounds, color, creed, sexual orientation, everyone is there and those people deserve to be played. They should have been played earlier and you, we as musicians have a really important task now to find and give voice to those voices. And um, I, music, it's just, that's what we're here for. And I'm, I challenge everyone to go and find those voices because it doesn't just have to be Tchaikovsky. There's yeah. room for so much more than what this list that we were playing off of today was. I think it's a good point. And I think, you know, I hadn't even thought about that in the context of this episode, but I think, uh, in in light of you know just what's going on in the world right now, it's it's a good message to be like. There are a lot of underrated composers out there. Underrated somewhat correlates to underrepresented, and uh, I think your point too is great that it's the same. I am uh, a victim of this when I go to an art museum or something like that. 
if I see a painting that's by a painter that I don't know, I immediately ding it a little bit and just think like, okay, that's probably not as good. Um, and we don't need to do that because there are so many incredible composers. So Victor, any, any final things from you? Um, definitely echoing everything that Mary said. Um, and even for us, uh, or at least I'll speak just for me, um, you know, having spent my whole life in classical music, there's still so much I don't know. Like so many composers, even in the top 100, there were a good number of them. I was like, who that? And, um, <laughs> uh, so it was really cool to do this exercise and kind of uh, relive that experience that I, I used to have a lot more often of kind of like discovering new pieces and, and I discovered a lot so it's been a lot of fun. Yeah to be fair we'll, pu we'll publish this list online. Uh, I, I imagine for you and for everybody a lot of the composers that were lesser well known were pretty deep cuts from the like early Baroque era or Renaissance and so I'm not going to fault you for <laughs> no, no disrespect to my own personal ancient music history professor who we won't mention but wasn't my favorite class so it's acquired taste for some people i understand that alex any final thoughts from you i think sort of putting everything together uh you know we as musicians and artists have an incredible responsibility always but now more than ever to um build a trust with our audiences and like you said jacob sometimes you'll go to a museum and you'll see uh, an artist that you're not familiar with, um, but usually they're there for a reason. And I've, I know you and I have talked about this a lot um, as composed as uh, conductors, but also as uh, orchestral musicians, uh, we're sort of like art curators. When, when people go to the hall to listen to music, uh, they're trusting you to show them what you think is great art. And we have to, um, leave our comfort zone a, a little bit and show them what we really think is great art and not just what they want to listen to because they're going to go home and they're going to listen to Tchaikovsky four, five, and six. Uh, and they're going to go to, you know, they're going to be on summer vacation and go to Vail and listen to Tchaikovsky four, five, and six. Um, but we sort of have to take a little bit of responsibility to say, listen, if we're playing this for you, it's because it's important uh, and you should listen to it and uh, sort of build a uh, rapport and, and trust like that. And it's challenging for me too, but I've sort of taken that new approach when I go to museums and I see art that I'm not particularly fond of. Um, even if I know the artist, I'll see a lot of Renaissance art that I don't like, but if it's there for a reason, I try to try and learn why it's there because then I, I know that when it comes to more contemporary works, um, I'll have that trust built with the, the curators of the museum. And I think we have to sort of um, look at it in a similar way when we present music. Well, listen, I love, this was not even my plan or my intention to have some, some nice little message to provide at the end of this as well, because I have taken the attitude of primarily being a, uh, a listener through all of this, and, so, and I also don't think that I'm the most qualified always to speak on these things, but I love that everyone has mentioned that we really need to just listen give these underrepresented voices a little more uh, place at the table, but also just, just listen to them a little bit more and give them a little more credit for the incredible work that they have done as well. And if there's one takeaway from all this is that we all really don't like Tchaikovsky as a composer. <laughs> I agree with 
that. So with that, thank you all so much for joining us. Thanks to our listeners again for, for sticking with us, and we will see you soon with our overrated composers. I think we all know who's going number one, but there'll be much more to see after that. So. <laughs>